Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, my fellow food bloggers who are wanting to add value to your blogs and to your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Danielle Esposti from OurSaltyKitchen.com, and we will be discussing keeping your eyes on your own work. Danielle has been blogging since October of 2016. What started as a way to bring additional exposure to her husband's photography business bloomed into a full-on career. It has been an unexpected but amazing journey for her. She blogs about real food for real people using simple, mostly seasonal ingredients and techniques that anyone can master. Hey, Danielle, I love this topic and I am super excited to discuss it with you. But before we dive in, quick, give us a fun fact about yourself. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. I guess my fun fact about myself, it's it's a little bit of a story, but it'll it'll come back around on itself. When I was in high school, I was a newspaper carrier. So back when you could still like deliver newspapers for money. Oh. Yeah, that it was a very fun job. But um my junior year of high school, I was I was nominated for and I won the state carrier of the year for my <laughs> for my newspaper. That's awesome. It was, it was really awesome. But so the the prize that we were awarded was kind of a big deal. So part of it was um, a scholarship for college, and then the other part of it was all the winners from all fifty states. They took us on a trip to Europe. <gasps> what? Yeah, so we went to England and we spent time all over France. And on that trip is when I discovered like true global cuisine. So I'd always loved cooking and spending time in the kitchen with my with my mom and my grandmas. But on that trip is when like I had my first crepe in France and my first chicken cordon bleu. And I realized that food is so much bigger and deeper and richer than what I had ever experienced in my little Italian-American family. So delivering newspapers launched you into food blogging, basically. A little bit, yeah. yeah. How does one become the expert newspaper deliverer? What did you do to achieve that? Well, so my younger brother had had a newspaper route, and he got really sick of having to get up at 5 o'clock every morning, and I was teasing him that it wasn't that big of a deal. And he said, well, if you think it's so easy, why don't you do it? Um, So I was in... I was about 13. I was in eighth grade. And I said, fine, sure. So I took over his newspaper route the next day. And then I did it for the next five years. And I just, it was a really great way to get to know all of my neighbors. And I got lots of babysitting jobs out of it. And oh my gosh, um, I love that. Eventually, yeah, like I grew it to like 200 houses. And I just, you know, I just really was the, the known person suddenly in my neighborhood, which was awkward for me because I was a sort of shy, socially awkward kid. So you took a little job and you did it really well and it became great. Like it turned into yeah. great things for you. So I love that story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's get to our main topic today, which is keeping your eyes on your own work. I think it's safe to say that all of us get caught up in the comparison trap at times. It is super important for us to keep an eye on what other food bloggers are doing because we want to stay current and relevant. But in doing so, we see all the ways that others are succeeding. And then we start feeling inadequate. Danielle, I loved the first thing you wrote in your interview notes. So would you start by sharing with my listeners the advice you received from a friend years ago? Yeah. So back when I was in college, I was having a casual conversation with my now best friend. Um, something came up. I don't remember the exact context of it, but someone else had landed like a really great internship or um, maybe gotten into a seminar I really wanted to get into. And I made kind of a snarky remark about how like, oh, so unfair. Just some kind of 19 year old, you know, (laughs) pity party. And she gave me the best piece of advice, which is that someone else's success is not your own failure. Love that so much. And it is a piece of advice that has stuck to me like glue for the past 20 years. And I've applied it to 
my personal relationships, my business relationships. It's something that I try and instill in my children, um, even with, you know, they're three and nine. So it's a small, smaller lesson for them right now. But it's a really great way to keep perspective on what you yourself can accomplish instead of looking over someone else's shoulder all the time. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to point out that even though we're all doing the same tasks day in and day out, and even though we all call ourselves food bloggers, every single one of us is unique and we all express our creativity differently. When I see a food blogger reaching new heights, and it has not always been this way with me, but I too kind of got to the point where I just realized that other people's success was not my failure. So ever since I've had that mindset, when I see a food blogger reaching new heights and accomplishing incredible things, I feel, first of all, just sincere happiness for them because I know that they've worked their butts off to get there because we all work our butts off, right? And I also see it as an opportunity for the rest of us. So I'd take your friend's quote even a step further and say that someone else's success precedes our own success because if someone else can do it, then you can do it too. I think that is such a, a relevant perspective to bring in here because as the other piece of it is that this whole online entrepreneurial food blogging career that we're all embarking on, it's so new, you know, it's like a little toddler career. Um, And for me to have seen other food bloggers go before me and one sort of forge that path and allow me to be able to do this today. I have to thank them and say, yeah. like, thank you for being so successful and showing me that this is an opportunity that I never would have dreamed of five years ago or 10 years ago. Yep. So true. I think there's value in knowing what other bloggers are up to. I like knowing what other bloggers are doing as far as like videos being important and what best practices are for SEO, etc. But I think there's even more value in expressing yourself creatively the way you do your thing and not necessarily the way other people do their thing. I completely agree with that. So it's sort of you know, the fundamentals of what we all do is very similar. You know, we have to apply similar SEO strategies, we have to apply similar Pinterest strategies. Um, We have to ask and answer questions in our blog posts in order to give our readers the most valuable experience. But that's really just like A to F. Yeah, right. All the rest of those steps are completely personal. And, you know, you see you see food bloggers who are who just create these the most amazingly styled photos with absolutely you know gorgeous props and those beautiful light and they may or might may not be just as successful as the blogger who just uses a simple white plate but also takes really beautiful photos so that individual approach that we can all bring to how we execute all of those fundamentals is i think what makes this career so individualized but also so exciting and also, it's what helps and hinders you when you're trying to push push your business forward, because it can be so like scatterbrained. Oh my gosh, I want to do it the way that this person is doing it. If you're not wrapping yourself up into the tangles of, of how everyone else is executing that creativity, if you're really just focusing on the way that you can hone in on those certain parts, I think that's how you keep continuing on your own success. That makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like what you said about just being scattered because it's easy to get caught up in all of the things involved. And there is definitely value, I think, in just like understanding that and keeping an eye on what others are doing and even like gaining inspiration from them. But knowing that you are the tool that is making your content unique and awesome. Completely. Yes. Yeah. I recently attended a conference for food bloggers and I listened to a speaker talk about what is currently trending for recipe video creation. I got back and I was relaying everything the speaker had talked about to my videographer who does my filming and my editing for me. And I could tell as I was talking to her that she was looking at me like I was in distress and I didn't even realize it. She could see that there were parts of the process that I was explaining to her that were stressing me out. So finally, she just said, 
you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. Do things your own way. How do you want to create videos? And I was almost like, what? Like how? Wow. I mean, it just like threw me off. But it's so true. Like, yes, there's value in seeing what others are doing and kind of what is standard and protocol and what is happening right now. But I love that she called me out on that. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be afraid to put our own spin on the content that we're creating. Oh, absolutely. And we shouldn't be afraid to, you know, absorb everything that is current and trending and happening in the industry, but to hold on to, for us, what has been really working. Right. You know, like the reason it's called a trend is because it's a trend. (laughs) It's going to go in and out of fashion over time. And like we said earlier, the fundamentals are always going to stay there. And some trends are going to turn into a fundamental. And it's okay to not necessarily jump on that straight away. I think that, you know, like for me, I, I cannot do it all. I'm sort of at a point in my life where as like a mom, as a wife, as a human being, I refuse to do it all. And building up to that mentality was, I think, pretty important when I began to, to build this business, but you know, I don't dive headlong into everything, Facebook or everything, Instagram kind of just do the bare minimum because I know it's not my strength and I keep up with all of the changes that are happening on those platforms. And I listen to Instagram to talks and tutorials, and I keep up with how the world on that platform is changing just so I'm knowledgeable about it. And I'm aware and it doesn't like a big, change doesn't slap me in the face and make me reevaluate everything that I'm doing. But when I learned how to just let go of those platforms and say, you know what, this isn't me. This isn't my wheelhouse. I have to rock the things that I'm really happy and confident doing. It was such a huge stress and it gave me so many hours back instead of, instead of trying to be like, I have to be an Instagram influencer because that's what everyone else is doing. Yeah, right. And I think in food blogging, because there are so many different aspects of it, we think that we have to do it all and that we Mm -hmm. have to be great at all of it. So I loved what you said about just like figuring out what your forte is and focusing on that. We don't all have to be amazing Instagram influencers and we don't have to be killing it on Facebook. We need to figure out what suits us individually and what we're really good at and like really focus in on that. But it is good to know what's going on. I mean, I try to stay in the loop on everything too, even though I don't like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's value mm-hmm. for sure in at least knowing what is trending and what other people are doing. And that conference I was telling you about where I listened to the speaker talk about video trends, like that was great information, but I don't need to take what she said and do exactly what she does. Or do it all at the same time. You know, just you don't have to do it immediately either. You know, maybe you take take the the most relevant pieces that are the most strategic for you to implement and just do that. Yeah, you don't have to do it all. <laughs> and that's hard, right? Especially as a mom and a food oh, blogger, because oh moms and food bloggers, we do do it all. <laughs> so we're like, oh, I can do this. I got mm-hmm. it. And then you get to that burnt out stage that is not fun. Yeah, and I... My first year, I definitely went through that burnout stage. And then that little niggling thought in the back of my mind that I had certainly, I had a career before I became a food blogger. This was a big, you know, midlife career change for me. Um, Maybe, maybe not quite midlife, third, third quarter. (laughs) But I, I had learned those lessons in my previous careers. And I think because this time around, it was all mine and I was the only one who was making the decisions and I was the only one who had the control. I felt like I had to advance it really quickly and do everything. And I definitely went through burnout. And then I ended up taking six weeks off, didn't do anything for six weeks. And I took a really big step back and I said, all right, I'm going to go back into this super fresh. And that was at the start of 2018. So I took a whole bunch of time off and I said, I'm just going to start chopping things off my plate. I'm going to let go of this and this and this and this and this. And when I was able to do that and I didn't spend time on social media, and I think I was just like reading cookbooks or something for six weeks because it's, it's much easier to fall back in love with what you're doing when you take the social media aspect out of it, I find. So true. Kind of go back to the core of why you're doing what you're doing. 
Uh, and then I came back really fresh in 2018. And I've been able to focus a lot more on just saying, I don't have 30 hours in the day. Yeah, I have 24. And I'm not, not <laughs> going to work through all of them. Right. So how, do I, how do I maximize them? Right. No, I love that. I love that you took a break because sometimes that's all we need is just a break, mm-hmm. whether it's a six week break or a six day break or a six hour break, whatever it is that exactly. helps you to feel fulfilled and rejuvenated. I think that we all get to that point where we just need some time and then we come back even better. Yeah, just more excited, more rejuvenated and yeah allowing yourself to take that time and telling yourself that it's okay. It's not, it's not quitting Right, is the harder conversation you have to have with yourself before you actually do it. And the world is not going to fall apart. If we leave Instagram for a while, we tend to do that. Like, Oh no, I do that. Just yesterday. I was like, I have not posted a story in days. And then I started beating myself up about it, but that's ridiculous. So ridiculous. We don't have to do, we don't have to do that. Yeah. And the job that we do is very valuable and that people do rely on us for things in any number of different ways, whether it's for inspiration or how to feed their families or any number of things. But the world doesn't end when we don't post to stories and the world doesn't end when we don't get a new recipe up for a week. You know, it's it's certainly not life or death stuff that we're managing here. Um, and it's important for us as as individuals and business owners and creatives to keep that momentum going, but also to know that, you know, when you were maybe employed at your last full-time job, you were allowed to go on vacation for a week, right? you know, and to give yourself that same grace when you're self-employed is very tough, but very rewarding. I liked that you said it's not life or death. (laughs) So true. (laughs) We are not dealing with like human lives here. We are dealing with food blogging recipes. So we are allowed to step away. So I was going to ask you about going to other people's site and viewing other people's content and getting inspired by that versus maybe like copying it. How do you feel about that? So I make a lot of recipes from other food bloggers for a variety of different reasons, but mostly because it's delicious and I want to eat it. Um, I, I followed many of the food bloggers that I would now in some ways call contemporaries for years before I even started food blogging. And even, you know, back in kind of 2010, 11, 12, when food blogging was really heating up, I never considered it to be a viable career option for me. But I have always loved cooking. And I've always loved looking at beautiful photography. So I have always been in the habit of searching out food bloggers that I love and looking up their recipes and making them. And I kind of learned how to cook that way too. So I definitely go to food bloggers for everything from I want to learn a new recipe technique. So I recently learned how to cook halibut, which is the easiest recipe ever, but I've never cooked it before. So I made it five or six times, five or six different ways from five or six other different food bloggers, and then kind of figured out like, oh, well, this is the easiest way for me to do it. Oh, sure. So that's how I gain, I definitely gain inspiration, but also instruction from other food bloggers as well. And for me, that's the, that's why I would want to go to their sites. I wouldn't want to copy what they're doing. And I understand that, you know, recipes aren't copyrighted and you can make small adjustments and say things are inspired by, but, and I think that a lot of people have a lot of success learning from others learning from other food bloggers and and making something completely their own. Um, And that seems to be the way that I gain inspiration from other bloggers. I really like that. And I think a lot of us, when we started out food blogging, it was more like we would go to sites to see what was good. And then we would put our own take on that pretty much that same recipe. And like you said, we would make a few adjustments, make a few changes, add some cinnamon, and then we would post it. And I think that's kind of how we learned because a lot of us are kind of just winging the food blogging thing. We didn't come in as chefs or like amazing cooks or bakers. We just did it for the same reasons. 
yeah, I really liked your point about taking something like cooking halibut and trying a variety of ways to cook it and then figuring out what the best way was. What was your favorite? Why was it your favorite? Why was it the best? And then posting about that. That is such an inspiring and refreshing perspective, I think. Well, and then I get to try some of the best recipes for my favorite food blog. Absolutely. Too. Yes. Win, win, win all around, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes I go to other sites just purely for, I love the way this person cooks. Sure. Um, I love the recipe combinations that they come up with because I still need to feed my family four or five other nights out of the week. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Um, I'd like to say that every meal that I create in my kitchen is one that I'm testing for the blog, but I think I would have mutiny on my hands if my husband and kids did not get certain other meals. Right. So do you factor in uh, high volume keywords or do you just kind of do what you think your family is going to like that evening? Or how do you choose your content when you're looking around and scoping out recipes? In the beginning, I was really obsessed with keywords. I was really obsessed for like, how do I rank for a keyword with 50,000 search volume? How do I rank for a keyword that's going to give me, you know, 20,000 clicks a month? And I also knew at the same time, because I was very new and didn't have a whole lot of Google juice yet, that I wasn't going to be able to compete for those keywords. So I used to very um, conscientiously try and rank for like, keywords with 2,500 or less every month. And I did that for a while. And I realized that it was pretty limiting for my creativity and that I was doing more imitation than innovation. And it did not make me a happy creative because a large part of the reason that I fell in love with food blogging is because I'm naturally a super creative person. And that was a creative outlet for me. I just, I did not want to make another like here's a baked salmon with lemon butter sauce, which my family loves that recipe. We eat it all the time. It's like a fish recipe my kids will totally eat. But like, it's kind of boring. And does the world really need another recipe for baked salmon with lemon butter sauce? It does not. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It has been done. It has been done very well by others. And I, I really don't need to reinvent that wheel. Um, But what I do try and do is kind of look for little twists on things. And I have always done this when I cook. And I think this is a common reason a lot of food bloggers go into food blogging is because, you know, you'll go through a cookbook and you'll be like, oh my God, I love this recipe so much, but I'm going to do it this way instead. And then you want to share it with people. So the first big success that I had was this chicken shawarma salad that I made. I love Lebanese cuisine and I had been testing out like, I don't know, I think I tested 10 or 12 different chicken shawarma recipes kind of over the last five or six years or something, just trying to find one that most closely matched this one little restaurant my husband and I used to go to. Oh yeah. And I found one from the New York times and I was like, Oh man, this would be a really delicious salad. So then I started developing this like chicken shawarma salad recipe. So if you search for chicken shawarma salad on Google, it's like, I don't know, 500 searches a month. It's not a huge, crazy keyword. But that particular recipe for me went crazy on Pinterest. Oh, interesting. And to this day, it's my second highest traffic driver every month. Sometimes following your creative juices can actually lead you to traffic. Definitely. Yeah. At first, I was like, oh, I should... Maybe I shouldn't make this a salad. Maybe I should try to go for the keyword chicken shawarma or oven baked chicken shawarma or some other variation where the keyword is bigger. And I went with my gut and I was like, no, because like I'm, ba- I'm, I'm the base of my recipe is, is based on one from the New York Times. It's and I, I say it in my blog post too, like this is the best chicken shawarma ever. <laughs> Here are the tiny modifications I make to the oven baked recipe to make it happy for a salad. And then I do it as a salad combination. And I'm glad I went with my gut because it is new. It is a little bit innovative. It's something a lot of my readers love. I get comments probably once a day on how much wow. people just love that salad recipe. That's awesome. Partially, it kind of took off because it's it's Whole30 compliant. And it got very popular in the Whole30 world. Um, 
But now I'm at a point where people who aren't even Whole30 at all, it's just like a great summer dish. So yeah, I think there is a lot of value in going after high, in going after strategic keywords when you're approaching your content. But I also think there's a lot of value in being on brand, sticking with your gut, and realizing that if, I mean, it's kind of trite, but if you put out really great content, people will come for it. I think you nailed it when you said go with your gut, because even if that means doing a little bit of keyword research or looking on blogs or cookbooks for inspiration, I found that I am most successful with my posts when I do just listen to my intuition and mm-hmm. like, what am I supposed to make this week? <laughs> and you do, you have to get to that place. I think at first, when you're starting out with food blogging, it's confusing. There's a lot of information and there are a lot of recipes in the world to sort through. And like, where do I start? What would I ever make today? So you do have to like put all those pieces together and just listen to what your gut is saying. I love that. And I think your take on this whole topic is extremely refreshing because the best baked salmons and the best lasagnas and the best chocolate cupcakes are the best for a reason. So we shouldn't necessarily need to feel pressured to make those recipes better. And instead, I think we should be paying attention to what our readers want from us and what is speaking to us at the moment and then create based on that. Yeah. And, you know, our readers are really savvy. I can tell when not because I'm a psychic or anything, (laughs) but like I can tell by the way that my when my readers are responding to me, when I'm seeing other interactions on social media platforms and when I'm talking to my friends who are all like voracious consumers of, of food blogs. Um, that they have seen how the food blogging world has kind of shifted in the last 18 months and maybe not in the best way for people aggressively going after keywords. You, like, you see it in the content that's being produced. And I, I understand why. I understand it's a business. It's a business model. And there are some sites who are going after these aggressive comments who really are making the new latest and greatest of something. But there are others who are just very obviously chasing keywords. And I have had conversations with my girlfriends who are like, it is so hard to find like more like unusual things on Pinterest these days. It seems there's just a lot of repetitive content being pushed out, you know, onto Pinterest. Instagram, I don't find that. I find loads of super inspiring. I love Instagram as a user, just not as a content creator. That's really interesting what you said about Pinterest, because that is entirely true. You see the same things recreated over and over. And if it's exhausting for users, is it really in the best interest of us as content creators to feed the beast? Or is is it the best interest to kind of create something innovative and something different and something that will inspire people to share it and to try it and to comment on it. If it's exhausting the users, then it's not authentic, right? I mean, what we all strive to be is sincere, I think, Mm -hmm. and creative. And if we're not doing that, then we're kind of defeating the purpose. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a fine balance, you know, like you don't want to be there. There's that, that other side of the coin too, where something, sometimes people are being so overly innovative and i have found myself in that rut where oh for sure i will like make a recipe and test it a few times and finally get to the stage where i'm photographing it or having my husband taste it and he's just like really (laughs) (laughs) just something just like completely off the wall do we have to go this far i'm like (laughs) yeah i like it he's like no you don't (laughs) (laughs) trying to start a new trend yeah i mean so it's it's such a fine balance you know in everything that we do the content creation piece is is also a fine balance i started getting into the instant pot because i knew it was such a trendy thing but once i started cooking with it i literally and totally sincerely just fell in love with it it's funny how that can change because keywords is why i started it and then it brought me into falling in love with it and really like diving into it i think that keywords aren't necessarily a terrible thing they can lead you to other recipe opportunities that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have sought out? That is totally true. So one of the places that I love doing keyword research is on like the Google Trends. Yes, I love Google Trends. (laughs) 
and, be, and because I blog about seasonal food, sometimes I'm sitting down trying to plan out my, my editorial calendar. I usually do it like a month in advance. And I'm like, oh, September produce, apples, <laughs> butternut squash, all delicious things, all things that I love. But I also love going on to Google Trends and looking at like whatever is trending for that month. And then I have this book called The Flavor Bible. Oh, and it's not a recipe. It's it's not a cookbook. It is a food pairing encyclopedia. Oh. So if you look up, you know, butternut squash in the flavor bible, it will tell you everything that butternut squash pairs well with. Wow. And that, that's amazing. That will Yeah, that gives me a place to sort of say, okay, I'm intentionally not trying to copy someone or something. But I know I want to do a butternut squash pasta. And then I can go into the flavor Bible and I can start like exploring different combinations from there and developing a recipe for what flavors mesh well with it the most. Yeah, that's that's such a great tip. The flavor Bible, I was not on my radar. So <laughs> it's a hardback book. You can get it on Amazon. It's been out for ages. I've had it for Oh, gosh, I want to say almost a decade now. Oh my gosh. Um, that would come in so handy for any food blogger, I think. It pops up some really surprising combinations where you're just like, I never would have put those things together. And then when you do, it's just so magical when it actually works out. It's like a little secret cheat sheet for like yeah. wanting to hit those main flavors and foods without mm -hmm. oversaturating what's already there. Butternut squash soup is fairly overdone, so we don't need many more of those. But yeah, like seeing what tastes good with that. That is such a great concept. Well, like I did a pumpkin soup two years ago and I noticed that pumpkin and coconut were sort of natural affinities. And I was like, oh, I could do like a pumpkin coconut soup that's totally dairy free, but still creamy and still really rich. And, and that ended up being, you know, the recipe I ended up developing. But it wasn't because I took a recipe that was standard and kind of tweaked it. It was like, how do I just make this a little bit my own? but know that it still is going to taste delicious because the flavor combos are still there. Do you use any tools like Google Analytics to kind of look at trends and get ideas and inspiration? I do. So I am very competitive. I'm competitive with myself, first and foremost. And so I do a full on like, basically, it's like an income report on crack, but I don't publish it. <laughs> And I write it for myself every month where I go through all of my statistics for myself, which recipes were peaking, which recipes um, maybe took a dip, and how things performed on all of my various platforms. And one of the things I really like to do is I'll take five or six recipes every month after I do my whole like Google Analytics trend report on like the hard numbers is you know, because Google Analytics only gives you so much information. It's really telling you like, here's, here's everything by the numbers. And then I'll take five or six recipes that are not in my top 10 performing, but that are in like my 11 to 20 slots. And I'll, I'll go into search console and I'll look those up in Google search console and I'll find out what long tail keywords people are using to find those recipes. But maybe the long tail keywords that I wasn't necessarily trying to rank for. And I get a lot of, I get a lot of inspiration and ideas for recipes from there. That is such a unique way to find inspiration. I absolutely love that, and I love self competition. You mentioned that you're competitive with yourself. That's such a good way to look at it. Instead of competing with others, compete with yourself. How can you do better this month mm -hmm. from last month? And finding new ways like that, using analytics combined with Search Console to find new ways to present your content is brilliant. Well, and I think as food bloggers, we're all probably naturally competitive people if we decide to make a career out of something that is already incredibly yeah. competitive. So finding a way to still be competitive is, I think, crucial to satiate some of that need in all of us. Yeah. And to be competitive with ourselves kind of takes it away from others because mm -hmm. I mean, we hear about this all the time. Collaborating is so important and networking. We don't really want to think of our fellow food bloggers as competition, yet they are. So I like kind of focusing in on ourselves. How can I compete with me? Yeah, they are. And the 
food blogging world is so open and gracious and totally they're so willing to you know share what's working for them and share ideas and share tips so why would you want to ruthlessly steal business from a colleague you know and i feel like with with the approach i've been really trying to focus in on for for myself the last year and a half or so is as long as i'm improving my content it's not like i'm trying to ruthlessly compete with anyone else other than myself. Yeah, absolutely. Do you comb through a lot of your older posts and gain inspiration from that? Or do you mostly focus on newer things? I go through older posts to improve them. And every once in a while, I will entirely redo them. Do you make them better once you do them? Or do you just do them as is? No, I will make them better. I'll I'll rewrite the whole thing. So I have a lot of posts from the first year that I was blogging where I wasn't so awesome with SEO best practices. (laughs) Um, And I've been slowly going through those and rewriting some of the copy. But Every once, I, I get to every once, one out of every 10 or so, I would say, is one that I go, you know what, I'm going to entirely reshoot this. I'm going to recook the recipe from scratch. I'm going to make changes to the recipe if it needs it, because, you know, I also wasn't the best recipe writer at the time. And uh, so like one that I just posted last week were these black bean Buddha bowls. So I make these citrusy black beans. And when I originally posted that recipe, it was like tossed with quinoa and tossed with sweet potatoes. And it's a very delicious recipe, but it did not look very delicious Mm, the way I had originally written it. So I restructured the recipe and I turned it into a Buddha bowl and you can pick and choose which pieces out of it you want. But so instead of the focus being, here's this like kitchen sink dinner, now the focus on it is just the black beans. And here's a whole bunch of stuff you can add to it to make it delicious. I like that. Constantly looking at your old stuff and revising them and with your audience in mind, Mm -hmm. obviously, because you're thinking about like, how can this look more appealing to them? What are they wanting? I really like that perspective. And bootable is something that is a search term that kept popping up for me um, when I was doing some of my search console digging in the last few months. And I was like, you know, again, there's a lot of bootables in the world. I have one on the site for cauliflower shawarma that does really well. But I was like, I don't think I want to like sit down and really figure out a whole nother bootable situation. (laughs) But then as I was analyzing some of my older content, I saw the black beans and I was like, oh, two birds with one stone. Here we go. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) I can update this post. I can add in some keywords for bootable. It's vegan. A lot of my recipes or a lot of my readers like vegan options that don't feel vegan. You know, that's great. So in your show notes, you mentioned EAT and like building your EAT with Google and Pinterest. I would love it if you chatted about that. Sure. Um, So I want to say about a year ago, I joined the hashtag Jeff Facebook group and course, and he talks about EAT a lot. And at first it was very overwhelming. It was like, oh my goodness, (laughs) I have a lot of work to do here. (laughs) But I realized that it's a little, yes, it's complicated. Like, yes, there is a lot of back work that you need to do to, to build your profile over time, but it's also a simpler. And if you just think of it as how can I express my brand in every single post that I write on my site? And for me, my brand has always been healthy, seasonal, real food. And it just means sticking to that brand in every single blog post and incorporating words like healthy recipes or real foods, or um, this is why I picked this seasonal produce in a lot of my blog posts and building up that consistency in my content over time. And I think that has really helped with my EAT with Google, because ever since I joined the hashtag Jeff group and started making some of these changes, like my Google traffic steadily grows every single month, even though, even though I have a number of old posts that are very poorly optimized. And it's, I'm not talking like 20% growth every month. It's like three to 5% every month and yeah, slow and steady. Which is great. Yeah. I actually love the EAT acronym because I feel like a lot of valuable gems are hiding inside of those little tiny three letters. Absolutely. 
So yeah, I mean, if we stay focused on what those three words mean to our readers, we really don't have time to compare ourselves to other people because our attention is directed on the important stuff. That is such an important thing to absorb. And I hope when you air this podcast, you kind of repeat it three times (laughs) (laughs) because it feels so important to me as a content creator to master all three of those things. You know, obviously we all want trust and authority comes with time, but your expertise is that one thing you can really control. And I think if we're always working on our expertise and building a new skill and working towards to be the best that we possibly can be, then the authority comes, then the trust comes too. And all of those words, I think, equal authenticity. If we're just authentic with what we do every day, then that shines through. And that's really what's important. Yeah. And if you're if you're aiming towards authenticity, then it's really easy to keep your eyes on your own paper because no one can do what you do. Yep. Nobody can do what you do the way you do it. That is something I repeat all the time because it's so easy to get into food blogging and think, why would I do this? Mm-hmm. There's a million people already doing it. You do it because you're you and because you're totally different from everybody else. Absolutely. And I am constantly discovering new food bloggers and going, this is an amazing blog. I can't wait to make something from that. There is no finite supply of recipes in the world. You know, like that's why when when we talk about, you know, going after keywords, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do it. I know I have to. Like there are some recipes where I absolutely go after certain keywords. But on the other hand, you know, there there are endless keyword combinations that will bring traffic to your site. Yeah, I know. I heard someone say once, this wasn't regarding recipes. I think he was talking about graphic design, just like general designs. And he said that everything is already designed. And I was like, that is so not true. And I think about this all the time because you can reinvent designs or anything, recipes, whatever it is that you're doing in your own way and make it completely unique. And that includes creating recipes. Absolutely. So my my husband is the director of content for a boutique stock photography agency. And they have these conversations in his room all the time, which is that a lot of people think either stock is formulaic and you just need to show up and do X, Y, Z, and you can make $10,000 a month doing stock photography. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, he's like, I talk to clients. I talk to photographers. I talk to photographers who do really, really well at stock. And I talk to photographers who don't do really well at stock. And what it really comes down to is the same thing in food blogging, which is that you have to be authentic and you have to not reinvent the wheel every time, but you have to move the wheel forward. So you have to do something a little different because the other thing I think we can take away is that if we look at what's popular in food culture now, very different than it was 10 years ago. People aren't making the same things. They aren't consuming the same things. And there's lots of trendy things from 10 years ago that are now sort of ingrained in food culture. And there's lots of things that have gone away. So it will always be changing. And to say that there's this finite resource of recipes in the world is, you know, insulting ourselves. It is. It's insulting. And it's just totally inaccurate, I think. Mm -hmm. So in an extremely competitive niche, your perspective on competition is super refreshing. Do you have tips for food bloggers who are feeling like they are just like really swimming deep in the waters of competition right now and maybe giving some tips for small steps they can take to get out of this pit? Where is a good place to start? Taking a social media break is always my number one recommendation. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, get off social media for as long of a time period as you can handle it. So whether that's a day or whether that's a week and and whichever one is your, you know, your hungriest monster. So for me, that would be Instagram. I get inspired on Instagram, but I also go on Instagram sometimes and I'm like, Oh, I'm so not good enough. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then I just take the app off my phone for a few days and I refocus and I recalibrate my efforts on what I'm very good at And then another thing I would say is it's more comes from like our family's minimalist mindset and gratitude mindset. But when you're feeling completely overwhelmed with where you fit in to sit down and literally make a list. These are five things that I do super, super, super awesomely. These are five things that I know I can improve upon. 
And to spend all the time you spend comparing yourself, that mental energy, use that time to make those improvements. Do you need to take a course on Pinterest? Do you need to work on your overhead food photography? But then you also have this list next to it knowing, well, here's these five things I do really well. I write hilarious copy for my posts or I can you know, write a really well done recipe that anyone can follow or whatever it is. But always coming back to, to being grateful for what you're very good at, but knowing that you can take a step every single day to improve something you're not so great at. I feel like gratitude when we really employ it can like literally just squash all bad feelings, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm feeling that competitive thing or really anything negative about my job, I start focusing on what I'm grateful for. And if I do it over and over and over, it is amazing how that can change your mindset. Yeah, it's it's a really, really powerful tool that I'm only sort of tapping into now in my third decade of life. And <laughs> I mean, I, I hope that I can give my children that tool much easier, much sooner in life than I had it because it's super powerful. And when you can look at when you can look at a situation and get gratitude out of it instead of jealousy out of it, it makes the entire exchange so much better. I love that. It's such a simple thing too, right? It's hard. It's but it's simple. Yeah. It is hard. It's so simple, but it's so hard. And it takes a lot of intentional reframing your mindset because we're all <laughs> we're all taught to just think negatively and to be so hard on ourselves and to beat ourselves up and to be bringing ourselves down. It is not an easy thing, but if you can get to that point where you're doing it often, yeah, it feels so good. It feels really good, and you know this this comes back to something we said earlier in our discussion, but. When you can look at another food blogger and instead of seeing all the things that they do so well that you don't do so well, but you can instead look at them and say like, and acknowledge the path that they paved for you to be yes. able to walk behind them or to thank them for the delicious food they've brought into your life. Right. That's, that, that's powerful too. And that goes in hand in hand with being not necessarily jealous of them, but being grateful for them. And we've all been in this job. We've been in the trenches. We're in the trenches together. Mm -hmm. So we know the work that everyone else puts yeah. in. It's a crazy amount of work. So just that, like, thank you for working so hard. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. And everyone was a beginner. For sure. Everyone was terrible on their first day. You know, like there's no... There's no university course on how to be a food blogger. <laughs> I know. You know, and nobody even knows what food blogging is. <laughs> and, and even if there was, no one would graduate it being like a professional photographer and a professional recipe developer and a professional writer and the social media savant and all the things that you have to be. You know, we we all started somewhere. I think even the biggest bloggers today would say, my gosh, I'm still improving this part of my business or that part of my business and feeling underwhelmed by how I'm performing. So maybe even just that perspective shift of even the most popular food bloggers have their insecure moments too. Absolutely. And I love what you said about disengaging when needed and just taking a step back. Yes, taking a step back from social media, but also when you feel that need to keep your eyes directly on your own work, not even looking at other blogs for a while, just do your mm -hmm. thing for a short amount of time. And this is a yep. piece of advice that I got from a blogger when I was first starting out. And she said, the best thing that I have learned is that when I am feeling overwhelmed or super competitive, I just do my thing until I don't feel like that anymore. So it is okay to do that. Yes. And I love that. I love that. Just laser yeah. focusing in on your progress forward. And going back to your audience when you're feeling overwhelmed too, and just saying, not not necessarily going to them, but going back to the feedback they have given you and realizing that you have brought something to them and you can do it again. Most food bloggers have audiences who want you to be at your best. Mm -hmm. So they're wanting you to... Take breaks, be authentic. Take breaks, yes. <laughs> be yourself, Yeah. So as we've been talking, I have been thinking about those people we all know who just do things differently, that just do their own thing. They don't wear the clothes that everyone else wears. We all know those people and they're just so uniquely beautiful 
because they're true to themselves. So as we've been talking, I've been thinking of all of these people that I know who fall into that category and they just hold such beauty. And I think this is the same concept for food blogging. There is such beauty in doing things your way because we each hold unique beauty that no one else can replicate. Absolutely. Is there anything else that we've missed about keeping your eyes on your own work? I think we've hit all of the really important things. And, you know, just to reiterate again, like it is such a process to be able to get into this mindset and it's not perfect. I certainly get jealous. (laughs) I I certainly look at other blogs and go, oh, gosh, I can't wait until I'm at that point. But now I say to myself, instead of saying, gosh, I wish I were at that point, I say, I can't wait until I'm there. I think if you reframe it in your mind of that's a goal I know I can achieve instead of that's a goal I want to achieve, that's a big mindset shift too. A small one, but a big one. Any mindset shift is great. One thing I was going to add to that was looking at where someone's at. And instead of saying, I can't wait to be there, actually being thankful for where you're at in the moment because it's part of your story. And if you don't have this moment, your story would never be complete. So being grateful for the lessons that you're learning now and maybe the things that you're not the greatest at now because that's just part of who you are as a food blogger. And eventually you'll be able to tell that story and say, at that point, I was there because of this. And I appreciate that. So I really appreciate you being here, Danielle, and taking the time to chat today and helping to encourage our fellow food bloggers. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And before you go, do you have a favorite quote or additional words of inspiration for my listeners? My my quote when I opened is probably the go-to one that I come to all the time. Oh, you really can't beat that. <laughs> but say it again for us. Someone else's success is not your failure. I love it. Putting that on my wall. (laughs) Danielle has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, and those can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Danielle. Danielle, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. So my blog is oursaltykitchen.com. And I'm on the, all the usual suspects, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, also at oursaltykitchen.com. Or if you want to email me, I'm at hello at oursaltykitchen.com. Awesome. Thank you for listening today, food bloggers. And I will see you back here next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.